Good morning. I got so caught up in that, I almost forgot to come up here. It's a good thing. It's good to get caught up in the worship of the Lord. This morning, we are going to be in Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. And I'm going to ask that you stand as we read the word of the Lord. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, this is your word. And your word describes your church. Not just the first incarnation of the church, but what the church is truly meant to be. Father, help us to see something here of what you're calling us to be. As the church universal, as the church of the apostles. But to not only see it, but to empower us to be this. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was in elementary school, one of my favorite parts of the week. It wasn't math, if you were wondering. (laughs) My favorite part of the week, besides gym class, of course, was library time. I love library time. uh, Our librarian would pick out a book for us and read that book to us, and I'd often get lost in the story. And there are many books I remember from, from those days when she would read us books, but there was one that has stuck with me from that very first day till now. And the book was called Stone Soup. How many of you have ever heard of the book Stone Soup? Okay, so this is what I love about the book. So it starts out, there are three soldiers returning from war. And every time they go to a town, the town kind of shuts them out. They don't want anything to do with them. In fact, they see them coming from, a, from far away and they go and hide their stuff. They don't really want to share with these soldiers because what they have, they have limited resources. So they don't want to share them. And so they, they, they hide their things. And in one town they come to, finally, the soldiers, they've knocked on every door. They've asked for food. They've been turned away. And so they go to the center of town. They go to the town square. And so they declare, well, I guess we're going to have to make stone soup. And the townspeople get curious about what they mean. They roll out this big cauldron. And they take three stones. They fill the cauldron with water. They build a fire under it. And they put three stones in the water. And people think they've lost their mind. And they come by and they they inquire, okay, what are you doing? We're making stone soup. And they talk about how wonderful stone soup is, how it's the best soup you've ever tasted. But... We don't have salt and pepper. If we just had salt and pepper, it would taste a little better. And the townsperson would say, well, you know, I've got salt and pepper. 
So they run off, they get it, they bring it back, and the next person would come along. What are you guys doing? Making stone soup. Well, what's that? And they would describe it. And they say, you know, this would be better with carrots. Oh, I've got some carrots. And they go back and they bring your carrots. And this happened over and over and over again till by the end of it, you have this steaming pot of, of soup filled with all these things that people brought out of their own resources. And not only that, they bring more. And they have a feast and they dance. And what started off as a very self-protective community of people became a feast fit for a king. When I read Acts 2, 42 through 47, it's a feast to the king. This is a group of people who had mourned the death of their savior, of their leader, and then he came to life again. He came back from the dead and he defeated death. And then there were these people who traveled to Israel during Pentecost and they too heard the preaching of Peter and they wanted to be a part of what Peter was talking about. And it's, it's this little community of people, which is the genesis of what we do here today, of why we gather today. And the power of the Holy Spirit moved them to go beyond themselves to be part of something bigger than themselves. For the 2020 vision as we talked about it last year and we're beginning the year 2020, we talked about it and we've, we've encapsulated, encapsulated it excuse me, in two ways. We've said, one, we've had the smaller phrase, belong to Jesus, belong together. And we've tried to encapsulate what's going on here in Acts 2, 42 through 47. And that phrase, and in this longer phrase, we seek to lead people to Jesus into a community where they matter and belong. And that's what's going on here in Acts 2, 42 through 47. They're finding a place to belong that is filled by the Spirit of Christ and for the glory of Christ. Now, pop quiz. You know there's going to be a pop quiz this morning after, after Christmas. How dare I give you a pop quiz? Pop quiz we seek to lead people to Jesus in a community where they matter and belong. Who's the we? Okay, now if you said church leadership, you were only half right. If you said, well, we, the people of the church, you were only half right. If you say we and you mean the church leadership and the church membership working together by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of Christ, you were entirely right. But that vision can't be achieved separately. That vision, if we're going to be a place where this is true, 
If we're going to be a community where we lead people to Jesus into a community where they matter and belong, it has to be two-sided. It can't be one-sided. And that's what you see going on here in the church. You see a group of people who are moving from me to we and seeing the power of God working in and through them to build the church. Only together the gifts and the resources of God's people combined with the leadership of the church and power by the Spirit can accomplish something compelling enough to make people want to be a part of it. Only together is the vision possible and achievable. But here's the thing. Just like it did in Acts 2, 42 through 47, it requires something of all of us. Of all of us. What does it require of us? Well, looking at Acts 2, 42 through 47, we see it requires three things. It requires that we be together in devotion. It requires that we be together in commonality. And it requires that we be together in mission. First, it requires that we be together in devotion. What do I mean by devotion? Look at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So what I mean is this. Our faith isn't casual. It's intentional. And we can very easily move from intentionality in our faith to just merely existing in our faith. We all know what the word devotion means, don't we? I mean, we live in SEC country, right? (laughs) Look, you've heard me talk a lot about the St. Louis Cardinals, if you've listened to me at all. And I love the St. Louis Cardinals. I'm a fan of the St. Louis Cardinals. My kids learn to love the St. Louis Cardinals because of me, because of my devotion, my wife's devotion to the St. Louis Cardinals, or our love of the St. Louis Cardinals. Because let me qualify. There's a difference between me and my oldest son. If you were to ask me the lineup of the St. Louis Cardinals right now, I'd be like, oh. If you were to ask him, he'd rattle them off right now, every single one what position they played, how much they're getting paid, and who our minor league prospects are. That's devotion. I like to catch them when they're in the postseason. That's when it gets really good, right? He's watching every game. That's devotion. And the early church was devoted to these four things. They weren't casual. They were things that motivated them because they were reflections of Jesus, and Jesus was everything for them. And if you've come to know Christ, Jesus is everything for you, but here's what happens. Sometimes we drift. And sometimes we need to revive our hearts and remember that Jesus is our everything. And that's what these four things are intended to do. These four things are the very root, the very ordinary means, the very roots 
that dig deep into the Holy Spirit, the soil of the Holy Spirit. And this is how we abide in Christ. And if we've drifted, the good news is that the good news is always the good news. And Jesus can revive our hearts, our own personal faith. But here's the other thing about these things. They aren't multiple choice. These four things aren't multiple choice. Listen to what it says in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, not or. These four things are essential for our individual faith, but these four things aren't to just be practiced individually. They were practiced corporately. They were practiced together. And I know it's very appealing. In a world that is divided as ours is, a culture that is divided as ours is, to just kind of retreat, to listen to my podcast, to get my worship on in the car to my favorite band, to pray by myself, and think we've done what the Lord has called us to do. And private devotion is very important, and I'm not diminishing private devotion, but private devotion is one side of the coin. The other side is corporate devotion together. Because it's when we're together that that iron sharpens iron. It is together that you're bringing out of the resources of your devotion time with the Lord, your prayer time with the Lord, to convict me and correct me and rebuke me and train me and lead me, and shepherd me. That's what we do for one another. And I remember when I first learned this. I learned this when I was in college. And I was a believer. I I went to college as a believer, but I went to a commuter campus. And so I was still sort of stuck in the high school world, okay? I had my small group of, of friends. I had my small group of friends that knew Jesus, and I was fine. I didn't need anything else. I didn't need community. I didn't need any of that. And things just started getting harder in my classes and and my my Christianity was being challenged. And I had no one who really shared that with me until I went to a campus ministry and I, I began to get to know some people there and they invited me in. And more than just helping undergird my faith, look, I was a raw individual. (laughs) We all are. We all have sharp edges. And it's when we come in contact with other believers that those sharp edges are chipped away. Through the Holy Spirit in you, the Word in you, and in me. And I grew during my time in that college ministry. And I was not just called to be a part of that college ministry, being part of that college ministry, surrounded me by people who were urging me to be part of the local body. Dr. Yusuf has said it this way. It's like taking a a branch out of the fire and putting it to the side. There is only a matter of time before the fire goes out. Our private devotion is not enough to keep our faith and our heart kindled for the Lord. It's only together that we stoke the fires of devotion to Jesus and one another through the word, through prayer, through our community with one another, through our worship. Because as we sing today, we are prone to wander. 
and we need each other. Part of that statement of we lead people to Jesus isn't just a statement of evangelism, it is, but it's also a statement of shepherding. We lead each other to Jesus. We lead each other back to Jesus. When we get stuck in our own mind, in our own world, in our own sometimes sin, we need other people to pull us out and lead us back to Jesus. So let's get specific here. Let's get very specific here. 2020 is going to be a year of shepherding. And I'm going to make a confession to you right now. We as church leadership have not done this well. But we want to. We're already setting about to put plans in place to make sure that we are shepherding those who are our people, our members. It doesn't mean that we don't want to shepherd those who are regular attenders. It doesn't mean we don't want to shepherd those who are visitors. But when you join, we know you. And if we know you, we can shepherd you. That's why we pushed so hard last year that we wanted you to join the church, not just to join the church, but so that we know you and can shepherd you. But we can't do that alone. It can't be one-sided. We need help. I went to look up Shepherding the Large Church on Amazon. Find a good book. You know how many I found? Zero. Why? Because it's difficult to shepherd in the large church. But it's not insurmountable. Look, if Moses can shepherd Two million people wandering through the desert. We surely can do it for 2,500 people here at the Church of the Apostles. Amen? But Moses wasn't doing it by himself. We need each other. And one of the ways we're going to try to accomplish this is through our small Bible studies and our small groups and our ABC classes. And so we want to invite you as leaders to be a part of this. So many of you as small, small group leaders already recognize that you're shepherds. But this is also the reason we ask you to be a part of a small group, not just to be part of a small group, but because we know this is a vehicle. Community is the very vehicle, the very means to accomplish what we're trying to accomplish here. The community thrives when we are together and we are practicing these four roots of devotion. But second, to achieve the 2020 vision is going to require us to be together in commonality. Where do we see this? Look at verses 44 through the beginning of 47. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Now you can see in those verses how they were growing and what they were rooted in. It says in verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Literally, it says, all who had come to believe were together and had everything in common. Who were these people? They were the Jews of the Diaspora who had come back for Pentecost. These were the people that were following Jesus during his public ministry. These were the people that he had called to be disciples, and that includes tax collectors, zealots, Pharisees, fishermen. 
this disparate group of people who came together under one banner as the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think it's remarkable that what the Roman Empire and what Alexander the Great attempted to do by power and force and policy, only the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit could accomplish. And that was bringing a group of people from from every tribe, nation, and tongue together to worship one Lord and King. The church, from its outset, was called to be multicultural. That's what Peter's talking about in Acts 2.39. The promise is for you and your children and for those who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And you see by the end of Acts that the gospel has gone out to all different kinds of people. And it brings together a group of people who have the commonality, not of their culture, not of their nationality, but of their one king, Jesus Christ. And the gospel can do, and the power of the Holy Spirit can do what nothing else can. It can bring people who disagree together. Not only is the church multicultural, not only is it meant to be multicultural, it's meant to be multigenerational. We are the beneficiaries of that multigenerational nature of the church. You're sitting here because the church lasted beyond one generation. The church universal. And Dr. Yusuf has said many times, this will not be a one-generation church, individual church of the apostles. And that is our goal. But to be a multi-generational church, we have to be an intergenerational church. What do I mean? I mean this. This can't just be a church for people in their 20s or in their 30s or in their 40s and their 50s and their 60s, 70s, and on upward. This has to be a church for all ages because the design of the gospel is this. Those who are ahead of you spiritually will pour into those who are behind them spiritually. And we believe that God has given the older generation wisdom to pour into the younger and the younger to pour into those who are just behind them. That is the call on our lives. That is the call on the church. And you can read it in the epistles. The older to pour into the younger. But here's the problem. Even in our culture, we've got this division. It's the one group calling the other group snowflake And the other calling the other one, okay, boomer. There's this animosity between generations. That should end in God's church. If a zealot can sit down with a tax collector and be part of the disciples, then the commonality that comes from the Holy Spirit can overcome all of the differences we have to unite us in Christ for the purpose of his glory. Now, how does this work itself out, particularly in our church? Well, here's the thing. We are a church made up of different socioeconomic backgrounds, different ages, just like they were here in Acts. 
And the commonality is here to bring us together and see that we are all on the same team doing the same thing together. And you hear a lot, look, I don't know anybody at church. I don't feel connected to people at church. And it's almost as if we, it's almost as if we expect to come to church and find somebody that we know. When in actuality, what the church does is it introduces us to people that, that we need to get to know. I thought when I was that college freshman, I didn't need these people over here in this campus ministry. I didn't know them. They were different than me. But what I found is being a part of that group, it changed me. I've been here for eight years. And I'm thankful to the Lord that I have been in in the lives of many of you and you've been in my life because you have changed me. Your very presence has changed the dynamic of this church. Your being here this morning changes the dynamic of worship. And you being present in each other's life changes someone. And I've benefited from that. But we've got to break down any generational line that is here. If we intend this church to be here 40, 50, 60, 100 years from now, we've got to drill into those four roots, but not in our little separate groups demographically, but intergenerationally with one another. So in 2020, there's going to be more intentionality to be more intergenerational. And we're going to unfold that more and more. I had a, um, someone come up to me when I was in Coffee Connection talking about this very point. And he said to me, Zach, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. When is the young generation going to start to lead? And I was taken aback and encouraged by that at the same time. Because there was a desire to see the younger generation lead. And a desire to be part of the equation in making sure that the younger generation leads. Now, the younger generation is leading in all kinds of ways. But it's the desire of our heart to see the older generation pour into the younger generation in a way that we see that wisdom transferred by those who built this church to those who continue to steward this church. And so we pray that our ministries will be enriched by that intergenerational dynamic here in 2020. And we ask you to pray towards that end. Look, here's the thing about your prayers. And one of the most powerful things about the fact that they were devoted to prayer. It is my grandmother's prayers. That are partly responsible for why I'm here. And my grandfather's prayers. My grandfather didn't live to see me become a believer. But his prayers outlived him. 
and your prayers will outlive you. Long after you're gone, your prayers continue to be effective for the kingdom. Let us be in prayer for the generation that will lead this church long after we're all gone, if the Lord tarries. Third, achieving the 2020 vision is going to require that we be together in mission. Let's examine verses 44 through 46 in light of verse 47. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Who is leading people to Jesus? God is leading people to Jesus. It is his power. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't argue anyone into the kingdom of God. There's no program or method or or process that we can bring anyone from death to life. That is a Holy Spirit thing. But God is so pleased to call us to be a part of what he is doing in the lives of other people. He uses us as instruments for the purpose of seeing people come from death to life. God was leading people to Jesus, and we have the great privilege of joining him in that mission. How did they join him in mission? They started where God had planted them. Look at verses 46 and 47. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. See, their primary mission field was where they were placed. It's where they lived. And that's what people were watching. The watching world around them saw how they were getting together and praying for one another and loving one another. And they were curious about it. But it wasn't just there. It was where they worshiped. It said they were meeting daily in the temple as well. Their neighbors observed the love that they had for one another. And it says that they won their favor. They won their attention. They saw God overcoming the natural selfish bent of the human heart and causing people to do what they don't do naturally. That is, give of their heart, give of their lives and their resources for the sake of the kingdom that no one could see. Except for through the faith of the early church. Tertullian, who was an early church Christian, lived in North Africa around 197 AD, and he wrote these words, testifying to the reaction of the culture around them, the very lost, very pagan culture around them, to the love that Christians had for one another. He said, they said, see how they love one another? Like them, our mission field is not just the community where we live, but the community where we worship, where we work. And it's our desire to reach those around us. And this is what we want to be said of the Church of the Apostles. See how they love. So the people that pass by on 75, they look at our church and they say, they're committed, they're devoted to those things. They're devoted to the Word of God. They're devoted to prayer. They're devoted to worship. They're devoted to each other. And we pray that the outpouring of our love here would reach out to those around us, that our love would would, would transform us, and in the process, we would reach those who are in need around us, both physical need and spiritual need. One of the ways we're going to do that in January is the Life Imprint Dinner. 
Who is it that you know that needs to hear the gospel? Who would be encouraged by hearing a former gangster, someone whose life was bent on selfishness and violence, transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, coming from death to life? Pray who you might invite. But ultimately, we want the love and the fellowship of this community to be so powerful and the love be on display that we earn the reputation in this community that we are the church that is about Jesus and we love each other well. We want to be a Christ-centered, spirit-filled community. Second, they joined God in that mission in bringing their resources. They resourced the mission. Okay, wait, 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 Zach. I see what you're doing here. You're talking about money. Yeah, I am. Why? Because the text says it. The text says it. One of the responses that they had was that they sold their possessions and they gave to anyone as they had need. Now, let me qualify this for a second. This isn't socialism. This isn't communism. This isn't compulsion. This is merely the faith that God had given them and the love that was so overwhelming that they were willing to sacrifice what they had for the sake of another. No one goaded them into this. It wasn't demanded of them. But the Holy Spirit placed it upon their heart. They gave of their their monetary resources because they believed in the mission and they believed in what was going on. They believed in this Jesus that had come from death to life and was building a kingdom through them. And they wanted to give what they had for the purpose of extending that kingdom to those who were in need, those who needed to hear that gospel. But this isn't just about finances. Look at verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. This was an investment of their time. This wasn't just a Sunday morning thing. They were involved in each other's lives. They were in each other's homes breaking bread, building fellowship, encouraging one another. They were using their spiritual gifts to build up the community. Hospitality helps, exhortation, evangelism, shepherding. You can see all of those gifts at work here in the early church. I started my, my time here as the college pastor. And what does my heart good is to see, to look out and see the faces of some of those students. And they're not just here. They're serving here. They're a part of what's going on here. And that was my greatest desire for them, to not only see them consume the word, but to give back, to be a part of a body. That's what God God is calling us to do. That's what the 2020 vision is all about. But not only did they bring their gifts of time and their talents and their spiritual gifts and their treasures, they also brought, don't miss this, a sincere heart and a joyful attitude. Look at verse 46. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. 
They weren't faking it till they made it. And they weren't crossing their arms and going, well, I'll wait and see if this whole Jesus thing works out. The only person that crossed his arms and said, I'll wait until I see it, was Thomas. They weren't waiting to see if it worked. They were trusting that God was calling them to be part of the process of seeing it work. And they brought sincere hearts and joyful attitudes. It's very easy to approach any vision with a sense of skepticism. And I'll wait and see. But that's not what was happening in the early church. They went full in because they knew Jesus had called them to. And they gave of their hearts and their lives, their times, their talents, their treasures as an act of worship in response to the overwhelming grace and love of God the Father in Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. We desire to see our ministries and our worship and our prayer times and our discipleship and our shepherding enriched by your gifts and by your presence. It's going to be better with you than without you. And honestly, let's go back to the opening story. We've put three stones in the water here. Devotion, commonality, and mission. Only together can that be accomplished because without you, it's just three stones in boiling water. We're missing your love. We're missing your presence. We're missing your compassion. We're missing your faith. We're missing your hospitality. We're missing your prayers. And without those, we've got nothing. But when the Holy Spirit moves us together, it's no longer just three stones in the water. It is a feast fit for our King. So let me ask you the question. No, no, I don't need an audible response here. I need a prayerful response. Don't you want to be part of a community that looks like that? And if you do, don't you want to be part of... creating a community by the power of the Spirit through your gifts that looks like that? Christ-honoring, Spirit-filled, filled with love, and I guarantee you, if that's what we end up with, we will see God accomplish some amazing things in and through us. That's the sort of community we want to see together here in 2020. That's what this statement is all about. But we need your prayers, and we need you. This is just the beginning of a conversation this morning. And we invite you to respond, 2020 at apostles.org. That is the, write that down. That is the email address. I think we have a slide here. 
2020apostles.org, we, the team, want to hear from you because we're going to be working diligently to try to make this happen, to help people who feel disconnected feel connected, to help people who feel like they're alone since that shepherding that comes from the church. But we want your feedback. And if I was unclear about anything, I want you to ask. If you have a thought or an idea or you have something to bring to add to that soup, tell us about it. We want to hear from you. Before we go to our time of worship, I do want to point out one more thing. Verse 43, it's a verse I skipped. It says that the church was together and they were filled with awe and wonder about what, at what the Spirit was doing through the apostles. My prayer, and I hope your prayer is, this year that we will see God move in such a way that we will be moved to awe and wonder at what he'll do through a community of his people glorifying his name to reach the lost and equip the saints for the work of ministry. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it says in your word that those who labor to build a house without you labor in vain. You have put the blueprints of the house here. in your word. And the resources are here in this room. We pray that you would empower it in such a way that we would see you do mighty things again. That we, you would, we would see you draw people together in devotion to your word, and to worship, to prayer, So, Father, we pray that you would, you, would, you would knit us together in commonality and that you would indwell us with your spirit and give us a sense of mission and faith that it is not our power but your power in us that can accomplish what we seek to accomplish. So we lift those prayers to you and our worship to you in Jesus' name. Amen.